All right, good evening. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4? Now, we uh, were off last week with our fast, and so let me just say this in kind of reviewing a little bit. Uh, verse 24 of chapter 3 becomes the transition into a warning that John gives to open up what we call chapter 4. Of course, when John wrote this, there were no chapters or verses. It was just a letter that he wrote to uh, Christians. Um, he no doubt had some in mind, but it was a general letter that was uh, really written to all saints, all Christians. Of course, John was an apostle, but he was also a pastor. And as a pastor, he had a shepherd's heart. He was always like Paul. I mean, you know, Paul said, I lose sleep over my concern for the churches. The church was on his mind all the time. And uh, John was, I'm sure, the same way. And one of the things as a shepherd uh, was his responsibility was to warn the sheep of the wolves. And of course, in our case, would be the false teachers and prophets that uh, showed up almost from the very beginning and began to mislead people. And uh, so John is wanting to uh, warn, and he's done this throughout the epistle, but now he revisits that subject. Verse 24 of chapter 3, he said, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So we've talked about that. How do we know the Spirit of God is in us? Well, there's, there's fruit. We've talked about that. Go back and listen to the prior studies. But then he goes right into this statement, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. So we know that we are in him because of his Spirit in us, but don't believe every spirit. Test the spirit. Sometimes we think the Holy Spirit is talking to us. And it's really not the Holy Spirit. It's maybe an evil spirit. Peter, God gave him an incredible revelation. Jesus was up in the area of Caesarea Philippi with his men. And he turns to them and says, you know, who do men say that I am? They said, well, you know, word on the street is that you're John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets come back. But who do you say that I am? Remember what Peter said? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Peter, son of John. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. And you're going to be the first pope. And I want you to be careful. Not <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't, couldn't help myself. Uh, upon this rock I will build my church. Not on Peter, please. Upon the declaration, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what the church is built on, our Lord and Savior. But of course, right after that, Jesus began to talk about how he would be going to Jerusalem, where he would be arrested, he would be beaten, he would be crucified. And Peter, this incredible man of God, who just had a revelation from God, rebukes the Lord, says, Lord, certainly this won't happen to you. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. You are mindful of the things of men, not of the things of God. So one minute, Peter's hearing from the Holy Spirit. The next minute, he's you know, speaking from a demon. Be careful. Now, how do I know 
<laughs> when the Spirit is speaking to me, and when the devil's trying to get a hold of my thoughts, if you know the truth, it'll set you free. It'll keep you from error. Now, the devil is very subtle, and sometimes his lies are so subtle they might trip us up. We're not sure. I guarantee you, though, if you really know the Word of God, it will keep you from, you know, 95% probably of all the lies the devil wants. You know, and, and, and you know, he, he knows. If you're a person of the word, he is not going to have an easy time deceiving you. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free from Satan's lies as the context. So don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Now, when John admonishes us to test the spirits, he was referring to testing the teachings, of course. Test the teachings of those professing to speak on behalf of God. Just because somebody calls themselves a man of God or a woman of God, and even though they're on radio or television and have a gigantic ministry, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily speaking on behalf of God. I mean, you've all heard that Benny Hinn has had a revelation of his own. And that he's renounced the word of faith movement and teachings. Oh, I don't think that was genuine. I'm not sure what he'd have to gain by turning against that. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I like to think it's genuine. We'll see. Time will tell. But for all those years, he spoke and he taught and preached this message that if you, you know, just have enough faith, you could be healthy and wealthy and have the biggest house in town, the most successful business, uh, and so on and so forth. Now he says, I believe that was out of the pit of hell. Well, praise God. And I hope that God uses him now to bring millions out of that deception as well. But be careful. You know, the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica, we read in uh, Acts 17. Because when Paul came down to, to preach to them, they received what he had to say as they did in Thessalonica, but they didn't just assume Paul was telling them the truth. They went home and checked what he said against the word of God to prove what Paul was saying was biblical. And the Holy Spirit commended them for that kind of diligence, right? These are very dark and deceptive days, and the lies have entered the church and have been Christianized. We've talked about it. And so we need to, now more than ever, test the spirits. Okay, we talked last week. Where do you get a spirit test? Or you have one in your lap. And it's the Word of God. But um, one author said this uh, with regard to this. He said, and I quote, The term translated test, right? Test the spirits. The Greek word translated test is a present imperative form of the verb dokitsumai. Dokitsumai. Uh, Dokitsumai. Uh, not that it matters. None of us really knows what that is, but... Um, of course, imperative in the Greek is a command. It's in the imperative, but in the present tense. Present tense means a continuous action. So the author says the term was used to refer to a metallurgist's assaying of metals to test their purity and value. John's use of the present tense indicates that believers are to continually, and it's a command, to continually test the spirits to see whether they are from God, end quote. Don't let your guard down. Don't assume because, you know, again, someone's got a 
well-known name in ministry, a big following, that everything they say is true. I know you guys don't believe that. But you, 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 I know that. There's a lot of Christians who, you know, touch not God's anointed. As if anything that comes out of this person's mouth now is off limits. And that's how you get into trouble, right? Remember what Paul said to us about the days in which we're living, 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And I've said this before, let me say it again. I wish Paul would have said in the last days some would depart from the church, giving heed to deceiving spirits and embracing doctrines of demons. He said they were going to depart from the faith, not necessarily leave the church. They have stayed in the church, many of them, have Christianized these doctrines of demons, and now are passing it off as biblical Christianity in these last days. And millions are soaking up this deception, thinking it's of God. Again, 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In saying this, is John referring to those who teach false doctrine in general? I mean, false religions, the occult, uh, cults, and so on. Or is he referring to false teachers who call themselves Christians in particular? Well, let's keep on reading. Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. It seems that in these verses, John is repeating something he warned his readers about earlier uh, with regard to false teachers. Turn back to chapter 2, look at verse 19. They went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, if they had truly been Christians, children of God, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and the idea is they not only left us physically, so they did break from John's group, the church, but I think primarily he's talking about them leaving the faith. Leaving the faith. Many of them keeping the label Christian, but leaving the orthodox faith. They went out from us, but uh, they were not of us. If they were of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. They were not real Christians, like Judas or others. You know, Paul talked about um, Demas, I believe, who left the church, having loved this present world. Um, who knows if he became the first word of faith teacher uh, into the prosperity, loving the world, loving the things of the world. John said also in chapter 2, you know, don't love the things of the world, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. It's all been designed by the devil to get you to love the world more than God. If you love the world more than God, your, your walk is neutralized and you're not going to be able to really be used by God for any purpose, right? But, you know, I, I in First John 2.19, and I think, John is revisiting it here in chapter 4. I believe what he's got in view primarily are people who at one time attended church, called themselves Christians, maybe still called themselves 
Christians as John was writing this. Uh, in our day, of course, there are a lot of folks who started off in churches who wound up leaving and becoming leaders uh, or members of cults. Joseph Smith Jr. Uh, started off in the church before he uh, was used to found Mormonism. Uh, you've got others, uh, you know, Christian Science. You've got Jehovah's Witnesses. A lot of these folks started off in the church, but then were convinced that, you know, they were getting revelations from God as to, you know, Joseph Smith, uh, the angel Moroni told him that uh, all the churches were corrupted. They were all corrupted. Uh, none of them were teaching the truth, and God was now raising up Joseph Smith to become the leader of a new movement, the only true church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We see these Christian cults around today. Now, once again, when John says that every spirit, and he's talking about every teacher, every prophet that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, once again, the context seems to be where he has in mind the Gnostics and uh, another group that taught something called docetism. Now, uh, the, this was a big thing. There were other cults in the first century that uh, the uh, apostles had to deal with, uh, but once again, the Gnostics believed that the physical universe was evil. And so they believed that Jesus Christ could not have become a man, a flesh and blood human being, because to take on a physical body would have meant that he was evil. So a lot of them taught that he actually came as a spirit, that uh, you know he was not... Uh, uh, didn't have a flesh and blood human body. And uh, that's why John started off his epistle by saying, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, we saw him, we, we touched him. He was real concerning the word of life. But there was also something called docetism. What is that? Let me read you what one author said about it, and I quote, the word docetism comes from a Greek word, meaning to seem. And it occurs a number of times in the New Testament. Docetism was the doctrine that the Lord Jesus Christ did not actually become flesh, but he merely seemed to be a human being. This is one of the first doctrinal heresies to appear in the history of the church. The first known champion of this heresy was Corinthus, who is generally believed to have been an Alexandrian disciple of the Jewish philosopher Philo. He taught that Jesus differed from other people only insofar as he was better and wiser than they, and that the divine Christ descended upon Jesus at the Jordan when he was baptized and left him just before he was crucified. John knew such teaching was a lie. John, energized by the Holy Spirit to expose this false teaching, and he bluntly de declares that such teaching came from a lying spirit, the very spirit of Antichrist. The essence of this heresy seems to have influenced Muhammad, interesting, and lives on in some Islamic doctrines concerning Jesus. It has its modern counterpart in various cults, such as Christian science, which considers matter to be essentially evil, end quote. Just to give you an idea what they were up against in the first century. And so I, I believe, guys, that John primarily was referring to those who at some point attended church, called themselves Christians, but then left the faith, uh, to start a new thing, uh, a new movement, and so on. Uh, they were what Jesus called terrors among the wheat, or as Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 11, he called them uh, false apostles, deceitful workers, 
transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. And they're around today. People who claim to be apostles even, you know, uh, ministers of Christ who are... Uh, not uh, working for the Lord, uh, not even saved, I'm convinced. Good actors, but the Lord knows those who belong to him. They will stand before him someday and give an account. That's why, guys, we're admonished. And um, I won't have you turn these. You can write them down. But because of all the deception that has been in the church from the beginning and is going to get worse and worse as we get closer to Christ's return, we are admonished in the New Testament to be vigilant, to be on guard, to be watchful, right? Philippians 1 verse 9, And this I pray that, listen, your love may abound still more and more in knowledge, the knowledge of God's word, and in all discernment. So love is important. Paul said, I, want, I pray your love increases. But love without discernment can be dangerous because you, you tend to embrace everybody, you know, the true and the false, because you're not discerning. All right? Anybody who calls on the name of Christ and says, you know, thus says the Lord, uh, they're all over that. And so you need discernment, especially in these last days. 2 Peter 3.17, Peter said, You therefore, beloved, speaking to Christians now, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. So there are wicked people who preach error. And of course, a lot of it has to do with, again, wealth, the fact that it's your birthright to never be sick. And if you are sick, it's because you're not living in faith. You are... Uh, you're in sin, maybe. Um, this is a wicked thing to tell somebody who is sick and needs the body of Christ to rally around them, pray for them, maybe help them uh, with daily chores and things because they can't do for themselves. To ostracize a person when they need the church most because in your mind they're sick because of sin and they're not getting better, which is their birthright, because they're not letting go of their sin, we need to pull away. And because uh, they're, you know, they'll, they'll taint the rest of us, basically. That's out of the pit of hell. Again, Acts 17, 11, we talked about this. These were more fair-minded, uh, the Bereans, than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether the things Paul told them were really scriptural. Second John 1, 7, we need to be on guard because many deceivers have gone out into the world. Now, guys, these are important warnings, especially for those living in the last days like us. The church, because we are so close to the return of Christ, every pulpit in America should be warning its people to be on guard against lies, false doctrine, demonic you know, heresies that come in masquerading as truth from God. But you don't see that. A lot of admonitions to be on guard, to test all things. Don't assume somebody is really from God because they call in the name of Christ, right? You think that churches and pastors would be shouting this from the housetops. Well, not really. Why? 
because in this day uh, of uh, wanting to uh, be tolerant, inclusive, uh, wanting to build a big church, uh, you know, that's negative. The church has really gotten into the whole positive thing. And anything that is negative is shunned because negative is of the devil. Positive, that's from God. First of all, where in the Bible do you see those terms? That sounds like electricity, positive and negative. I don't see that in my Bible. I see truth. I see error. And I also see how that sometimes God's truth can be negative and Satan's lies can be very positive. Eve, don't eat that fruit. You're going to die. Oh, that's pretty negative. Satan, no, eat it. You'll become God. Oh, that's pretty positive. But today, you know, pastors want to build big churches. They want to keep things positive, upbeat, and so they don't want to chase anybody out of church. So they want to just, they sidestep all that talk of, uh, you know, judging teachings and things like that. Because of this mentality that's entered into the church, do you realize that this kind of thinking has given the church a spiritual case of AIDS? You know what AIDS is, of course, right? It's a disease that once it invades the body, the first thing it does is shut down your defense mechanism. It shuts down your uh, immune system. AIDS doesn't really kill you, at least I don't think it does. It's usually something like pneumonia or something else. Your body's too weak to fight off these invading uh, you know, viruses or bacteria and so on. So eventually it succumbs to something a healthy body could fight off easily. So the devil has done the same thing with the body of Christ. Because, you know, what is our defense mechanism? It's to uh, discern and, if need be, to enact church discipline, which means sometimes we have to put people out of the church because they're teaching things that are not biblical, all right? If you strip that away from a body by saying, you know, that's too negative, touch not the Lord's anointed, you know, and that kind of thing, then what happens is Christians are no longer being discerning. They're no longer challenging. They're no longer testing all things and holding fast to what is good, what is of God. So they're just taking all this in. And they're getting sicker and sicker, a lot of churches. Very sad. Very sad. Verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. When John talks about the spirit of Antichrist, uh, which he already mentioned in chapter 2, verses 18 to 23, um, he's referring to any teacher or teaching that opposes, listen now, what is the spirit of Antichrist that's being preached, what John was coming against? It's any teacher and any teaching that opposes the true Jesus while at the same time offering a substitute Jesus in his place. We often think of the prefix anti. When we think of it, we often think of the word against. Against. But the Greek word could also mean in the place of. The Antichrist. Not necessarily against the concept of Christ. He's going to be presented as the latest reincarnation of the Christ spirit. Jesus of Nazareth was 
the last reincarnation of the Christ spirit for the Piscean Age. There's coming a new Messiah for the new age, the age of Aquarius. They've been singing about that since the 60s. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius, right? All right. Um, but they're looking for this Maitreya Buddha, this new uh, Messiah. He's going to be the incarnation. So the Antichrist, uh, not necessarily against Christ, but in place of the true Christ. Of course, the world's going to think he is the true Christ, but we know better. Okay, This, this is the subtlety and cleverness of Satan. He doesn't try to turn people against Jesus. Oh, yes, yeah, some he does. Got them thinking that atheism is the way to go. But he knows most people have a respect for Jesus Christ. It would never turn against him. So the devil does the next best thing. He seeks to replace the true Jesus in their mind with a false Jesus. A Jesus they believe to be the real Jesus. In this way they can believe in Jesus all they want. Jesus quote unquote all they want. Because he knows a phony Jesus can't save anybody. Turn to 2 Corinthians 11. These are all scriptures you know very well. 2 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 1. Oh, that you would bear with me, Paul said, in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received from us, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So right there, Paul is telling us, uh, he's telling the Corinthians, you know, what is wrong with you? I mean, when I was with you, I preached to you the true Jesus, the true gospel from the Holy Spirit. Why are you so quick to reject all of that now and go after another Jesus, embracing a different gospel from a different spirit, not the Holy Spirit, some lying spirit? John said the spirit of Antichrist is now already in the world. Well, look, we know from what Jesus taught in Matthew 24, that false Christ and false doctrine would reach their climax during the tribulation period under the Antichrist. I get to read chapter 24. Uh, he talks about false prophets, false Christs are going to abound, deceiving many, and so on, right? So we know that this was going to, it's going to escalate uh, and reach its climax during the tribulation period. Um, but there are plenty of groups right now in the world promoting a false concept of Jesus Christ, you know, that he's a created being, uh, the Mormons, he's a brother of Lucifer, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, he's, he's pro-abortion, pro-gay, maybe you've heard that lately, uh, that, you know, that Jesus Christ, uh, you know, uh, Hugh Hefner, the man who spent most of his life in his bathrobe, uh, used to say that, you know, he used to promote the playboy philosophy of life, basically a totally hedonistic, sensual existence. And I heard him say one time in an interview that um, if Jesus Christ were alive, he would be a member of the Playboy family. Now, that, that's an evil spirit 
who has deceived a very gullible, wicked man. There's a lot of Jesuses out there. And you know who's promoting all of them, except for the true Jesus? The devil. Why? I thought he, was a, I thought he wanted to keep people away from Jesus. I, I, I just told you. He's not going to get people turned against Christ. A lot of folks respect the name of Jesus Christ. So what do you do? You flood the zone with all kind of phony Jesus Christ, right? You fl- get people, you muddy the waters, get people so confused that when the Antichrist comes, they don't know what Christ is what, and they're going to embrace him wholeheartedly, especially because he's going to have the charisma, uh, he's going to have supernatural ability. Oh, they're being prepared right now as we speak to receive this Antichrist, this man in place of the true Christ, right? Interesting times we're living in. Back in 1 John 4, verse 4, he said, You are, uh, you are of God, little children. You, you belong to God. You're, you're his children. You're his kids. And have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. One pastor said, and I quote, The child of God need not fear the spirit of Antichrist, even though they should be warned of it, because they have the indwelling spirit of God. Back in chapter 3, verse 24. That indwelling spirit, Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world, which is Satan and all of his allies, trying to deceive the people of this world, right? You know, I knew a young guy very well who was a druggie, uh, lived a very kind of a rough uh, life, partying, fights, drugs, and then he got saved and began to radically change. But then the devil started giving him a series of dreams that were very terrifying. And um, he got so scared, he walked away from God just to cause the dreams to stop. See, he should have stood on the word of God. We tried to talk to him, you know, but he was just convinced that he had to run, you know. And um, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The devil can roar like a lion but he's on a short leash. And God's not going to let him do anything uh, as long as we are walking in the Spirit, doing the work of God, okay? He can't devour us. He can hassle us. He can oppress us. He can scare us or try, but he can't do anything to really stop us. Somebody said he's a toothless tiger. Uh, He makes a lot of noise to scare us, but greater is he that is in us, right? Of course, when John talks about um, he was in you as greater than he was in the world, of course, we've talked about the, uh, the world being a reference to this fallen world system that Satan is in control of uh, and uh, uses uh, to promote you know, his anti-Christ, anti-Christian uh, lies and agenda. What's his agenda? To keep people away from the truth. They're in darkness. He wants to keep them that way. He doesn't want them to come to the light. Uh, he doesn't want them to know the truth. He wants to, uh, you know, to keep them away from God's people because we're the light in this world now. And uh, so the devil uses everything at his disposal, and he is the God of this world. Uh, he uses pretty much every medium to preach his message. I'm talking about, you know, everything from... Uh, videos and music 
and uh, you know magazines and whatever else internet uh, most of it is controlled by the devil thank god god has allowed us to get control of some of it and boy does the devil hate that i was uh, listening to ken ham years ago and they opened up the creation museum there in kentucky i think right and uh, did they get the heat from the scientific community picketing people almost rioting outside the creation museum he went on tv and said you know this is really something every museum in the world pretty much preaches evolution we got one little museum that's trying to teach creationism and we're the greatest evil the world has ever seen because you're encroaching on satan's territory evolution is a lie of the devil if the devil can keep people in his lies, they won't come to the truth. That's why he hates when we promote the truth, right? Of course, the truth is Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 2. The truth will set people free from Satan's lies. I want you to notice something, too, here. Notice how John places our victory in the past tense. Don't miss this. You are of God and, look, have overcome them who's the them you know false teachers false doctrine the devil himself as christians guys we are not working towards victory we are working from it paul didn't say keep going forward and you will become more than conquerors he said you are more than conquerors through him who loves us the devil gets Christians to think that whatever they're in bondage to is something they have no power over, whether it's alcohol or cigarettes or drugs of some kind or pornography or something else. He wants them to believe that they are defeated. They are too weak to have victory. This is just their lot in life. This is all there is. They're going to be in bondage to this thing, a slave of this thing the rest of their life. They need to, by faith, embrace the victory that Christ is one. It's not me. Oh, I'm too weak, Pastor. Of course you're too weak. God never said you have to have the strength. But Christ won the victory. And we need to just look to him to give us victory in our lives. Paul said, the life I now live, I don't live in my own strength. I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He lives his life through me. That's how I have victory. Jesus Christ. He won the victory, right? Back in 1 John 4, again, verse 4, you uh, notice how he differentiates between us and those of the world, right? He said, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. And he who is not of God does not hear us. But this we know, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Well, that was something Jesus essentially said to the Pharisees in John 8. If you turn there, I'm convinced that John was standing there when the Lord gave it to these Pharisees. And who knows if John had the words of Christ in mind when the Holy Spirit led him to write what he just wrote down. But you remember from our study in John 8, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who opposed all the truth he came to bring. Now, tax collectors, sinners, harlots, 
They were embracing the truth. Not the Pharisees. Well, for the most part. There's a few. Nicodemus and uh, you know some others. Um, eventually Saul of Tarsus. But most of the Pharisees, they numbered about 6,000, were uh, adamantly against Christ. Refused to uh, embrace anything he taught. At one point in John 8, verse 43, Jesus said to these guys, Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. One translation says he speaks his own native language. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. That's exactly what John is saying. He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Now, at any moment... They could have been of God if they had stopped hardening their hearts and just listened a little bit. I mean, they heard what he was saying. They just didn't listen. That was the problem. I mean, God was speaking, but they weren't they were hearing, but they weren't listening. You know, when Jesus said, you know, you're not able to really interact with what I'm saying because you're, you're not of my father, okay? It wasn't that the Lord was trying to keep truth from these guys. On the contrary, um, he was always reaching out to them. He was always reaching out to them. And uh, because of their pride and rebellion, they had become deaf to the voice of God. Turn to John 12 once. In John chapter 12, uh, it's talking about the Pharisees and probably the, some of the scribes and chief priests. But I think the Pharisees were primarily in view. But l listen to what it says of these guys, okay? Um, they hardened their hearts. It wasn't that God didn't want them to know the truth. They hardened their hearts, right? And so verse 37, But although he, Jesus, had done so many miracles before them, uh, they did not believe in him. All right? They exercised their free will and chose not to believe in Christ, even though he had uh, performed many miracles. Why was that important? Because in Isaiah chapter 5 and other places, Isaiah prophesied that when Messiah came, he would open the eyes of the blind, cause the mute to speak, the lame would leap for joy. Uh, you know, he, he, would, he would cast demons out. He, everything Jesus was doing was prophesied of the Messiah. The fact that they rejected him, well, they had no excuse. They had no excuse. So they did not believe. Verse 38 that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, listen, they could not believe. First of all, they chose not to believe. After a while, they could not believe. Because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. We've talked about this, guys. Uh, it's very important that when a person hears the gospel, hears God's word, that they don't harden their hearts. 
Because eventually, like Pharaoh, God says, okay, you want to keep hardening your heart? Okay, got it. I'm going to make your heart all the more hard. And now you won't be able to believe because you have chosen not to believe for so many years. And at that point, God just pulls the light away. They can't. And now they're, they're forever going to be in darkness. Again, if you don't want the truth, God doesn't force feed it to a person. You don't love God's word. You don't love his truth. You don't deserve his truth. And at one point, he just yanks it away. That was the Pharisees. Uh, they would not believe. They would not believe. They would not believe. They could not believe. And that was it. It's what's called passing the spiritual point of no return or committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible says, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart while it is still today. I mean, you know, tomorrow's not promised to anybody. The night is coming, Jesus said, when no one can work, no one can believe. If the day of opportunity to be saved ends, it's going to be replaced by a night that will never end. And you'll be separated from God for all eternity. Remember Judas, uh, the night before the crucifixion in the upper room, how Jesus purposely had uh, Judas reclined behind him, John in front of him. Those two places had to be given to you by the host of the meal. You didn't just choose to sit on either uh, reclined, what they reclined on one side, on either side of the host. You had, it was a place of honor, these two places. And so Jesus asked Judas to recline behind him, place of honor, and then at one point dipped the bread in the sop and gave it to Judas, remember? That in that culture was tantamount to proposing a toast. Jesus was saying to Judas, it's not too late. It's not too late. You don't have to do it. I love you. I don't want you to be separated from me forever. But as soon as Judas took the bread, he left the room, right? To finish carrying out his betrayal of Christ. Remember what the Holy Spirit said? And it was what? He left the room and it was night. Of course it was night. Passover didn't start until sundown. So is the Holy Spirit just being, you know, unnecessarily repetitive or redundant? No. Sure, it was night outside. But it was night for Judas. The day of salvation had ended. The opportunity was now over. And that becomes a solemn warning to everyone. Don't play games with salvation. Tomorrow is not promised to anyone. If you hear his voice, Paul said, don't harden your heart as the children of Israel did in the wilderness. Today is the day to get right with God. You know the biggest, one of the biggest lies of the devil to people? Listen to me. Many, many people who wind up going to hell, we're not atheists. We're not agnostics even. Many of these people who wind up in hell were believers in Christ. What do you mean? Well, they believed he was the Savior. They believed, uh, you know, they went to Sunday school. They were in Awanas, many of them. You know the lie they bought into? You've got time. You've got time. You know, sow some oats first. Have some fun. You know, sleep around. You're a young guy or gal. There's plenty of time to get your life right with God and to serve him. But for many of them, time will have run out before they get serious. Paul says, don't do it. 
don't play that game. If you die before you give your heart to Christ, you don't get a second chance. It'll be night forever. Verse 6 once again. 1 John 4, verse 6. And I'd like to actually... Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, I, I can see now I'm just going to have to introduce it. And we'll close. Uh, but I want to I want to key in on this. Introduce it tonight. Talk about it next week. It's a little off the topic, and yet not really. Let me read verse 6 again. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now listen to me. John is stating a general truth with regard to the people of God and the word of God. And that is this. True Christians have the Holy Spirit inside of them. True Christians have the Holy Spirit inside of them and they hear God's truth. In other words, they believe and receive it. They, they hear it, not just with their ears, they, with their heart, okay? Pharisees heard what Jesus, they heard what Jesus said. They just didn't embrace it, didn't believe it, didn't bring it into their heart, okay? John's point is, if you really are a child of God, you will hear the voice of God. You will discern when the Spirit is speaking. Now, guys, that thought became a very important idea in how you got your New Testament. That idea that the Spirit of God in Christians will discern what is of God in the way of truth and what is not, whether you know it or not, became very important in how we got our New Testament. Hold on to that thought. We'll come back, visit it next time. I, I just... I just saw it here, and I thought, this is such an important concept. Let's talk about it a little bit, and then we'll move on, because there's some fantastic things that points John goes on to make about God's love. Incredible stuff. So we'll look at that, God willing, next time. Father, we thank you for your word. It is truth. We thank you, Father, for loving us so much that, Lord Jesus, you came down willingly you went to the cross willingly. You rose from the dead that we might have everlasting life. For us, there's only day. There's only light for eternity. For those who reject you, Lord, and your word, there's only darkness. Forever and ever and ever, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. It doesn't have to be that way. You came that people would be saved. Father, work in the hearts of those that we love that don't know you. Those that have hardened their hearts to you because of the deceitfulness of riches, maybe. Or because of a desire to live for sexual pleasure or something else. And maybe in their heart they do believe in you, but haven't made that commitment yet. Maybe they fully intend someday to get right with you and start living for you, but not yet. They have time. Well, they don't have time. Impress upon their hearts, Lord, how urgent that decision is right now, today, that they would get their lives right with you. We thank you, Lord, that you've opened our eyes. And we have given our hearts to you, Lord. Thank you. We've passed from death to life. 
We ask you to continue to bless these studies in your word, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.